Before we get started with today's episode, I want to give a big shout out to the team at MMATV.com for supporting this week's episode. I know right now I am churning through watching content like never before. I'm pretty sure I've come close to completing Netflix. So if you're a fan of combat sports and you're looking for something new to watch, go and check them out. They have got a plethora of combat sports content for your viewing pleasure, from exclusive fight cards to documentaries featuring the likes of Ronda Rousey, Conor McGregor, Anthony Joshua. So if you want something new to watch right now, go and check out MMATV.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of People I Want to Be Friends With, with me, Andy Shepard. And, well, we are continuing what I've kind of named the isolation sessions because that's where we all are right now, entering, well, it's been renewed for three weeks, another three weeks of this. And, hey, look, I... I hope everyone is staying well, staying healthy, finding your own ways to deal with this the best you can. It's it, it's a struggle for a lot of people right now. So, hey, look, I hope this this next hour of conversation helps fill some of that time and um, you know bring some uh, some entertainment into your day. And look, this is a good one. This is this is one that I felt really um, what's the right way of saying this healthy afterwards just in my soul you know sometimes and especially in these times I'm finding just interactions with people talking to people um, on Skype on FaceTime whatever having these kind of conversations is is nourishing and, and this was a nice one it's with with Chai Lewis Parry um, six foot nine ten of mixed martial arts k1 kickboxer just a he's a vicious man to put it uh, put it short, and also a man with some WWE experience. As we get into, he had an NXT tryout several years ago, and it's something that he's perhaps looking to explore in the future. So, hey, we, we get into that, um, and it could be an exciting time coming up for Chai Lewis Perry. I first met him um, at Bama several years ago, where he was a big signing, not only physically, but also because of his charisma. Honestly, I, I think he's one of the best talkers in, in mixed martial arts. He knows how to sell a flight, and, and that's why I'm excited if he does decide to step into the world of pro wrestling. So um, check this out. If you like it, why not subscribe and leave us a rating or review on whatever podcast platform you're on. It all helps the cause. So here we are. Without further ado, it's Chai Lewis Parry. Mr. Chai Lewis Parry, thank you very much for joining me. I've got to say, I was looking through my phone book earlier. I'm pretty sure you're the biggest person in my contacts list. Well, that's 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 nice to know. What thank are you, you. Six, six, nine, <laughs> six, ten? Yeah, I'm, I'm bordering six nine. I always say six eight because I don't like bigging myself up, but it's, it's closer to the six nine. Than I'm, six, I'm, eight. I feel like once you get past about six six, you can say what you want because no one else can really judge it because it's just I'm, too big. I hear all the time. Well, I see articles. Oh, yeah, six foot ten, giant, six foot eleven. I'm just like, I'm really not that big. I mean, you're legitimately a giant. <laughs> There's no denying you're not a giant. I'm a big guy, but I don't. I don't think I look uh, particularly big just because I'm kind of well built. You're in proportion for my size. You're in for proportion. Yeah, you're a big yeah, I'm man. In proportion, yeah. Um, how are you? How first of all, how are you dealing with this? It's. I can. Anyone who's watching this video can see. You know, you're on a beautiful outdoor vista. Um, how are you dealing with this isolation? Um, I mean, it's all right. I mean, I suppose when you do, when you have views like this, just just outside, you know, just down the road, you you um, it's very difficult to really take a negative from it. I mean, obviously, I don't want to see anybody suffering or anybody in pain, but I don't feel I'm not in a housing estate in uh, Harlow or something. Do you know what I mean? Stuck 
having to deal with, you know, uh, wall-to-wall personalities that are all suffering with the same thing. So I'm, I'm very blessed in this situation. And how's it affecting you in terms of your, your day-to-day life, like training and, and everything else you've got going on? Well, I can't get down the gym, can I? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of a kick in the ass with that. But... Um, well, there's a world is a way, and I, I make things work, man. I, I, listen, mate, I try my best. I, I really do, I, and I, I must admit, I try at it because it doesn't just come easily. But I do try my best to remain as light-minded as possible. Yeah. Because in a dark time, it's very easy to get dark thoughts, and yeah. uh, once you start adhering to those, man, you're gone. You might as well write yourself off. So, what are you doing to keep yourself busy? I mean, for, for my mind, I live in London and everyone's gone fitness mad. I mean, we're allowed to go outside to go to the shops and to go and exercise. And I can tell you one thing I've never seen as many people out jogging. Yeah, Ever, I know, right? everyone's like, right, okay, well, this is the one thing I can do. So, I'm going to become Paula Ratcliffe and Mo Farah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's a um, stay at home, train at home expert now. That's, you know the one. I mean? That's the one. Well, do you know what? It's not a bad thing to to kind of latch onto. I'd rather they latch onto that than to latch onto some fake lifestyle. Yeah. You know, which um, social media seems to uh, promote to people, and it's about you know faking it till you make it and all of that. But I think the one positive that does come from all of this um, is it's reshaping society as we know it, because people are getting a chance to just be themselves and not worry about what people think because we're all in the same boat it does seem like a, a simpler time again i'm i'm very fortunate you know i'm getting to do a lot of the stuff obviously there's things i i can't do obviously certain things have gone away because of this but there's certain things i can do and i can do them from home which makes me yeah. very privileged compared to other people who are you know losing out on things right now um yeah. but it does seem like a right now it's a simpler time you know there aren't because there aren't choices it's not like, oh, yeah. where am I going to go this weekend? Where am I going to go on you know, holiday or, or what are the choices? There are no choices. You, you go out, you go to the shops and you stay at home. It's literally, what am I going to watch on Netflix? And in a way, it's, I don't know, it, it just takes some of the clutter out of your mind. I, I think, well, I agree with you for sure. It does simplify things. Um, and we as human beings tend to overcomplicate things. And um, <clears throat> I think what would have been, I mean, it would have sucked most people will complain about this, they disagree. But imagine internet service was gone as well. Oh. And we wouldn't be doing this whole Netflix thing. You'd, have to, you'd be forced to appreciate what we've got. Yeah. And um, just going outside and taking a deep breath and actually smelling what you're breathing in yeah. is, is a gift, man. And, you know, man, it could always be worse. There's someone else suffering right now. It could always be worse. Yeah. This, is not a bad, this is not a bad thing. Yeah, for sure. Again, just going back to what you said about you know taking a big breath i i like going outside i love nature as it is but i tell you what going out at the moment i'm treasuring everything going out just going for a walk in the park just sitting in the sun for 10 minutes you know even walking past and finding a little coffee shop that's opening be able to grab a coffee little yeah. we, call them, we call them little luxuries things that so often we might take for granted ah i'm going to go for a walk i'm going to go and do this no that now is that's that's a thing that's a real yeah. thing that I, I i really am treasuring and I hope it's only temporary, the time that it's gone. Because yeah. I do, again, I, like, like you, I, I enjoy coffee. And I like the, the kind of uh, the preparation of coffee, the, the, the routine that I would get myself into. And I'd always go to this one particular coffee shop. It was like a little, uh, what do they call it, a mom and pop store. Yeah. Or whatever, you know? um, <clears throat> I'd get my coffee and just everything, the whole, the whole build up to it, the, the preparation, the, then the moment of the handoff, the coffee. 
yeah. the accomplishment. And then, the, the, you know, that's that's all gone. But it's obviously going to come back. But is it going to come back the same? That's yeah. the thing. You know, people are changing. So therefore, I believe as a whole, the world's going to change. Yeah. I think it's a real time for innovation as well in, in so many different fields. You know, I know a lot of people work in advertising, for example. And people are having to th- rethink how they're how they're making adverts right now. You know, again, I work in TV and how people are producing TV shows. Of course, I work with WWE and how they're producing shows. I mean, they just announced, uh, I don't know if you saw WrestleMania, but it's one of their biggest shows. A few weeks ago, did that all from the Performance Center. They just announced recently that Money in the Bank, another one of their pay-per-views, which is about climbing a ladder to get a briefcase with a contract Mm -hmm. in it. They're doing that from the WWE headquarters where they have to literally fight, it would seem, through the headquarters and and get to the roof. Just things like that. They have to think outside the box because what they've done before isn't available right now and I, I think mm-hmm. I don't know I think it's a great time if, if your mind is in a place where you can do this to, to, to try and innovate and create oh for sure I mean we've got nothing but time and this is the, the one the one element of life that everyone complains they don't have enough of now you have they'll complain that they have too much of it yeah but this this time is, is um, a, a very golden opportunity to to seize Anything that you like, you said innovation, but anything that you've thought of or any idea that you, you that sparked a, a bit of excitement in you, like, oh, you know what, I'd love to do this. You can do that now because there's nothing stopping you. And by the time we get back to up and running as, as things were, um, which I think will be a long time, but by the time we're there, it's going to appear to everybody else that you've just come up with this overnight success. But you've had it working for the for the months and months that we've been in isolation. So, what are you do? Are you doing anything right now that you wouldn't have normally given yourself the opportunity to do? Handstands. <laughs> <laughs> and for a man with arms as long as you, I'm sure that's a challenge. Mate, it's hard. Is it? It's really hard. Yeah, I'm like trying to keep my balance. I can I can manage about three seconds, and I'm done. This is I'm not against the wall. This is, five, six, this is uh, you, these are free handstands. These are not the, against the it's wall. Free handstands. Yeah, I'm just, no, nothing against the wall. I'm just trying to balance. I can't do I'm that. I'm seeing everybody else doing it, and I'm like, oh, this looks easy. I'll do it. Nah, mate, it's not easy. I've been trying for like two weeks now. I don't three seconds. I got. That's it. Maybe I'll try that. I haven't tried a handstand in. I don't even know one. I don't know if I could do one. I'm just trying to get to to. So I used to be back in my glory days, as in glory kickboxing. Yeah. Um, cause the glory days ain't come yet. <laughs> um, I used to be obsessed with core exercises. So calisthenics, when I said obsessed, it was like an everyday thing I had to do. I'd be really? doing thousands of different types of sit-ups every day. And I believe that's where my, my one punch knockout power came from was because I was so obsessed with these exercises and I stopped from an injury. I stopped doing them maybe three and a half, four years ago. Uh, you keep your abs, but you don't keep that core strength, that that um, that center, that that center pull, you know. And uh, doing the handstands, I was like, if I was doing this four years ago, I'd be nailing them. Really? But that's kind of sparked me because it's like, oh, so it shows how much my core strength has diminished. Yeah. So now I'm gonna get it back. And this isolation time is is, is perfect because I've got a little pull up rig, and and I, I do um, I go back to doing all the core things that I, w- I was doing before. But now this handstand thing's got me. I got to do this, and take my trousers off whilst doing it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that good. Take your trousers off, <laughs> mate. That's gonna. Have you not seen that? Have you not seen the girl? I've, se- I've seen people doing like getting the t-shirt on. No. Gonna, is it a trap? This yeah, girl takes her took, track if, seat bottoms off. If you took your trousers off, I tell you what, Jesus, mate. <laughs> this girl did it. She was impressive. She was really? only a little thing, 
but she took her trousers off in a handstand. Impressive as hell. Mate, that's versatile, yeah. to say the least. She had, she had an undergarment on. Oh, okay. she, You know, yeah. She, but she, she managed to pull tracks with mom's off. I fear if you did it, the undergar undergarments might have been forgotten that day. Just It might have been a song. <laughs> well, let's, let's go. <laughs> we, we touched on your fighting career there. So, of course, you know, many people are going to know you as, you know, this beast of a warrior. So let's go back and, and talk about your, your combat sports career. Um, how did you, first of all, how did you find out, or how did you, how did you find out you could fight? How did you get into it? What, what are the roots of Charlie Lewis Parry? Well, I think it, fighting's either in you or it's not, you know? Um, I wasn't, like, born a fight. I'd never say that rubbish. I was born a baby, mate, and I became a man. That's it. Um, but there are elements to one's characteristics that would suggest they can adapt to something like a martial art or... Some people are just tough, you know, they've, they've had a difficult upbringing. But I grew up in a, uh, a very, at the time, it was quite a racist area. Um, and the school I went to, I was the second uh, child of colour at that school. Wow. So I, I got a lot of bullying. There was a lot of bullying, but my mum's tough and she was just like, none of that. You just have to start fighting, start fighting back. Really? Fight back. They, if they hit you, hit them back. Wow. That's what she said. Were you, were you so a big I kid? Kind of, I was a chubby kid, yeah. Oh, I was a you? chubby kid. But you were tall. Yeah, yeah. For, you... for, for, for a long period of time, I was, I was quite chubby. But you were big, you were tall. A bit like I am now. <laughs> Mate, there's not an ounce of fat <laughs> in you. Seen his belly. <laughs> but how, how big were you as a kid? Because obviously you're 6, 8 to 6, 10, whatever we want to call it now, but you must uh, have been a big kid. Well, I was quite big as a kid because I stopped growing at 16. Wow. 16, 17. Yeah. Wow. So I was, I was big in school. I think I was 6, 6 in uh, last year of school, year 11. Yeah. And then I went to college. And in that year, I grew a couple inches. Wow. So, yeah, but from a kid, I was, I was usually, I think, like 11, 12, I was like six foot. 12, I was like six foot. Yeah. So I was a big I, kid. For me, I was a big kid. I was the biggest kid in my school. I'm six, six one something. What, something like mm -hmm. that. And I was, I remember I was the same height as a kid whose dad was six eight. And this kid went on to be, I think, six eight, six nine, six ten, your kind of height. And we mm -hmm. were the same size until 15, 16. So I was, I, I probably stopped growing at like 13, 14, and I was over yeah. six foot. Me and him were the same height, and then it was that year. I remember he came back from summer holidays, and he was like six four, and then the guy just kept growing and growing. I was like, oh, man, I want to be as big as you. I want to be as big as you. So how did you go yeah. from, so obviously your mum was like, hey, look, you've got to fight back because of, of what you're going through. How did that turn from a kid in school standing up for himself to being, you know, a competitive fighter? Um, well, it didn't really. I mean, I played basketball all through school and then college. And then I went to the States and played basketball in high school out there. I went to a junior college in the States, played basketball, came back here, played pro, played in Europe, um, then went back to the States. Basketball was my thing. I was, you know, like any kid, most kids nowadays probably have a picture of Conor McGregor on the wall if they want to be a fighter. I had pictures of Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Robert. I had all of these guys. They were all on the wall, you know. Um, Sean Kemp um, <clears throat> so that was what I wanted to do but I always played the, the forward position or the centre position which is very physical down in the post so getting into kind of fights on the basketball court coincided with with being you know kind of a uh, not an aggressive kid but a defensive kid yeah so it translated so I was already fighting from a young age just in a competitive way um, but then I'll go to school and then somebody would say something about something racist or something about your mom or something like that. And just kids don't really have that channel to 
to uh, ignore it. So I'd be fighting again. I'd be getting suspended or detention or whatever. So I think like most kids, to be fair, it's nothing special. Um, and then when I realized that the basketball sort of dream was done, the, the, the good thing about the basketball was I was able to identify that it wasn't going to happen early enough to go and do something else. How old were you when you kind of drew a line, drew a line under basketball? About, about 25. Okay. Yeah, about 25, I was like, do you know what? I could, because I used to watch guys who were like in their 40s, still trying, and they were playing in the European leagues. I'm like, well, you're still trying, and you ain't really made it, and you're, you're probably only making at most, most four grand a month playing basketball and this is a this is a full-time thing you practice every day it's not like football because i know how they, they those pros train they don't train like you're running up and down on the hardwood floor you know what i mean on your joints like that you're running around on astroturf or grass passing the ball shot practice this was different this is physical uh, scrimmage and um yeah i just thought before i waste any more time let me find something else because i know i'm a very physical person i'm not the person who's just going to sit behind the desk and oh man i can't do that i can't do, i'll go stir crazy and it sort of brings outside of me that I don't really like. I start getting agitated and snappy with people and I'm, I'm not like that, you know. So um, I needed to find something physical and my first fight was K1. Um, a friend of mine was putting on a show. He, he was a, a pro kickboxer, good kickboxer in the UK. Uh, and he was putting on his debut show as a promoter. And he, just, and he knew I had an interest and he just said, do you want to fight on it? And he main evented me against a guy who'd had like 30 fights. Um, and it was the quickest money. Because those, those were broke, broke times, man. And that was the, the quickest, easy money. Even though I shattered my hand and I was out for like four months. It was the easiest money I'd ever made. And um, I was like, man, I'm just going to get good at this and do it. So I just mastered, just mastered what I could with what I had, you know? So... Okay, just to reiterate, you were a basketball player. You then went and had two months. And your fighting background at this point was you had some dust-ups on the court and just the school it, yeah. and stuff. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. normal kind Three of fights, stuff. all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you went and did two months of training. Yeah. And you stepped in. So what about how bad you want it, mate? No, 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 no. Try, it? try, try, try. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now. If, whether what age I was doesn't matter if I went and did two months of training and then stepped into the cage it doesn't matter how much I want it I'm pretty sure I, I'm going to get knocked out that's some yeah, that shows you've got some talent there that shows there was something there man talent or stupidity I mean one of them you know it's uh, you, I think you're selling yourself short there because you don't you don't because you haven't done it yeah you don't appreciate that the fight or flight mechanism kicks in I don't think you're a flight kind of guy I think you would, if you had to fight, you'd fight. How did you fight? Because I remember, I think it was David Hay told me this, or maybe one of his managers. I think his manager was maybe going to train to do a fight. And, and he said, hey, look, I don't really want you to do it. Not because I don't think you can, but because when you're in a fight, it goes one of two ways. If you're half decent, if you're athletic, at some point in that fight, you're going to connect with the other person and you're going to hurt them. And that's when you walk down one or two streets. Some people will hurt someone and be like, oh, shit, I've, I've hurt them. And then you, that compassionate side comes out because you know it's a competition. You know this isn't a war per se. So there's like, oh, shit, I don't want to inflict punishment. Or there's the other road, which is like, right, need to capitalize. Now I'm going to go in for the killing and, and finish this. Do you think there's any truth to that? Yes, 100%. And uh, you know what? There's a, a prime example that you've kind of segued into because um, <clears throat> you were there. When I fought Stav yep. that night, 
and uh, the fight was stopped. Which Bama was this? Bama. Oh God. So just for people who aren't aware, this was on this was on one of the Bama shows, which is where I first uh-huh. met you, um, which was at the time yep. probably the leading domestic promotion in, in Europe up until 100%, a couple 100%, of, up until yeah. a year or two ago. Um, yep. You came in as a big signing uh, into the heavyweight division. Um, you were chasing that heavyweight title. Uh, whoever held it didn't seem to want to defend it against you. So they, I think was this fight for the title? This against it's Stab, for the interim Stab Economu. Yeah, it's yeah. for the interim. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, in that fight, uh, the fight was stopped because of a illegal elbow to the back of the head, which everybody knows that wasn't the back of the head. They know it's the side of the head. But if you watch it, if you go back and watch the tape, and you can do this now because I've said it, um, not only does Leon wave the fight off like the fight's over because he doesn't think it's it's uh, an illegal blow. Uh, I land too, and I realize he's done. So I don't need to hit him again. And you can see me hesitate, hold my elbow. And I'm like, I don't need to hit the guy again because he's done. I understand that he's probably, and, and in most cases, has a job that he has to go to potentially tomorrow or Monday, right? The show being on Saturday. Um, so I didn't need to, to, to land that blow. I could have. And I think, you know what, if I'd have carried on hitting him, the fight would have just been uh, uh, called off without hesitation, you know? But um, my hesitation in wanting to hit him again unnecessarily cost me that fight so that that kind of ties into what you're saying yeah you do you if, if i was a if i was a bit of an arsehole and like like you see a lot of guys uh rusimar palahara is that sort of guy that holds on to stuff for no reason just because he, he waits for the referee you're going to ruin someone's career or you could potentially damage them for life i don't want to do that which is just this is a, a small segment in my life man mm. and their life like it doesn't need to be everything it's not everything it's all going to be over at some point so let's go back to your, your career, because of course, obviously, you started out in K1, and very soon you found yourself in Glory, which is the leading, or was the leading K1 company in the world. Is that fair to say? I, I, I say they still are, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and look, you had a great run in there. How did you, how did you enjoy that? And um, following that, why did you move into MMA? I, I loved it. Like, I loved it. I'd already fought MMA before Glory. I think I had like four fights, four yeah. or five fights. Um, because I understood that's kind of where the money was going to be. But I had a great time in glory just because they gave me freedom to, to kind of say what I wanted to say. It didn't censor me, kind of like how they did out in Asia. Um, they just kind of said, look, do what you want to do. And they pushed that. They let me be a character. They let me be chopper. They let me have fun. They let me antagonize people. And they didn't kick me out of the, out of the venues when I'm there like wine, trying to wind people up. Because they knew that that sold. Um, no, I had a great time. I had a great time with Glory. You know, I've, I've been on the brink a couple of times of, of fighting Rico. Um, there was a time that contract was was almost signed. Uh, but it, for whatever reasons, it, it fell through. Actually, straight after the stab fight, I was going to fight Rico. Rico. Verhoeven. Who was the champ. Just because we created a, ni- a nice little... Uh, a little bit of a, a rivalry in my time that was there. It just would have been interesting, you know. It would have been fun. Um... I'm not the technical Dutch style fighter. Yeah. So I, I feel like I would have presented him problems. So, you know what? And if do I you, didn't, I'd have got my. Do you still feel I, like you got unfinished business in, in Glory? Mate, I've got unfinished business wherever's got the money. That's where I've got unfinished business. You got, you get, at, this, at this point, you've you got to pay people, haven't you? You've got to take yeah. care of people. I'll fight anywhere against anybody 
for the right waste packet. And let's let's talk about Bama because this is where we first met. Met um, again, as I said, you you came in. There's a lot of excitement around you because this this is something that always puzzles me because I've obviously I've worked as a broadcaster, but also I've worked with places like the UFC making documentaries and, and making packages and you know doing stuff behind the, the scenes with athletes. And when I meet a competitor who who doesn't really want to speak, who doesn't really want to help sell their fights, it puzzles me. Because you can only go so far if you're yeah. not willing to sell. Because at the end of the day, this is an entertainment business. People are getting paid big bucks because, because the audience wants to come and watch you. It's entertainment, okay? And if you're mm-hmm. not willing to help sell that fight, you know, in whatever way you can, it, it's, it's only damaging you in the long run. So when I try and talk to someone and say, hey, let's, let's, let's try and build some hype or let's at least get to know your personality. And they're like, nah, nah, I just want to turn up and fight. I'm like, Okay, cool. But someone like yourself, who is got such a big personality to go with, you know, your, your big physique, it really adds. And I remember the excitement around you when you came to Bama because you're going to come into this heavyweight division. There were some big guys for you to clash with, and it was going to make some waves. How did you find the whole sort of experience with Bama? Um, to be completely honest with you, I think that's the most professionally run organization I fought for just because they treated me as uh, they didn't say they didn't just kind of have me as like another fighter they recognized the value and they just said all right cool we're gonna do this for you or we can do that when I, I had suggestions I had ideas when I was meant to fight um, it's the first time in September the September before I think it was uh, 2018 I think it was Remember, I was meant to fight and then the fight got cancelled because the opponent didn't turn up. The opponent didn't turn up. And I think uh, Alex Lahore fought Nathan Jones. Your first yeah. match Your first match was against Stab, wasn't it, in the start of 18? Well, I was meant to fight the year before. Maurice. In the debut. Was that Maurice Jackson? Maurice, yes. That's the guy who didn't show. Yeah. The no-show. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. That guy's a joker. Can't call himself a fighter. Fuck. Um, so, yeah, that... That, you know, I'd had lots of ideas where we were working with Lad Bible and we were doing things to really push it. And that was kind of what it needed. And Bama sort of facilitated that. And that's why I'm, I'm like, um, it's a shame that they're not there anymore. Uh, because I think as a stage for up-and-coming homegrown talent, it was perfect. Yeah. Well, Bellator's kind of well, quite literally stepped into the gap where they were with this European series. What's your take on that? Because obviously, you know, you, you're part of the, the, the MMA culture, the combat sports culture over here. And I know that, from what I'm told, Bellator has helped a lot of competitors over here you know, make a living out of this. Because it's hard. As you, as you said, so often on these fights, even on the big cards, like a big Bama card or whatever, people have to get up on Monday morning and go and do their, their normal jobs to, to keep the bills coming in, uh, keep the bills paid. But Bellator are starting to kind of hand out contracts which allow people to a certain extent to focus on on this is a full-time thing. What's your take on that? I, uh, I don't know. It's kind of a jaded one because um, <clears throat> I appreciate that people don't all have the same qualities. So there might be a guy who's not particularly talented, but he knows how to scrap. So he'll be entertaining and he knows how to promote so I, I get that, and I, and I feel like they should be paid accordingly. Guys should be paid accordingly to their to their value, the value that they bring to the promotion. But at the same time, it's not playing tennis. It's not playing uh, racquetball. Like it's a, you can get seriously hurt. 
I mean, look at um, Cyborg, what happened wow. to him. Yeah. That can happen to anybody. And that's, that's, that's your life. He's lucky. He's, he's lucky he can even walk. I bet the guy has trouble smelling. I bet he has trouble seeing. Like all of these things that, that you don't hear about or people don't tweet about or don't post on Instagram or really talk about because everyone, every fighter wants to appear invincible, which is the most pathetic thing uh, you, could, you could suggest because we're not. None of us are. We're all human. We all get sick. We're all inside right now because of this virus. So none of us are invincible. Um, it's a real, real effing danger. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not a joke, man. And um, I think you should be paid. If you're going to step in there and they lock the case, they need to look after you. Yeah. Because there is, a, there is a high chance you will not be going to work on Monday. You might not be going to work for six months and that needs to be compensated for. Would you, would you, or are there, have you had discussions with, with someone like Bellator? I've had discussions with absolutely everybody. Yeah. And my biggest thing is the power of saying no. I think you need to value yourself. Now, whereas I might not be on this show and I might not be on that show and people, I don't care in it because I don't care how many people know me, how many people don't know me. That stuff is, is irrelevant. What's, what's relevant is my own value of myself. So if you're willing to, if you, you're only willing to give me money that would maybe last me three months, then you don't value me. But I value myself a lot more than that. Therefore, you can keep your money and you can keep your name and you keep your brand. And I'm just going to crack on the deal. I don't need to do this. Like, I, don't, I want to do it, but I don't have to do it to be complete, to be happy. When you, I'm happy looking at this sky, mate. When you, you know? when you look at a division, like let, let's use Bellator as an example, because again, they've made some real inroads here in the UK. When you look at their heavyweight division, how do you think you'd fit in there? Who, Bellator? Yeah. There's no real strikers there anymore, is it? There's no strikers. Like, it's no like, like... All the strikers that are there are, are a bit over the hill. Let's be fair to say, right? Um, they could probably still bang me out. On any given day, but that's the heavyweight division. Um, but it's become more. I feel like the heavyweights have become more of a grapple fest, which is why people like, um, like I, I want to see Linton, Linton Bissell clean yeah. up that division. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see him as champ. Linton needs to be champion because he's been he's been grafted. He's fought the who's who of of the murderers row. He's fought everybody, and he's been close twice. He's been so close to that belt, and I, I'd love to see Linton get the gold, man. He deserves it. He deserves it for sure. And I think, you know, his style is good for, 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 for heavyweight because he, I don't know if you, you've never grappled with him, have you? The guy is monstrously strong. Really? It's like, it's like grappling with a, a leopard. <laughs> just, yeah. Linton the leopard for sale. He should change that. <laughs> well, Linton, if you're listening, get the trademark yeah. on that nice and quick. Let's talk yeah. about um, a lot of people who, who may not have seen your work may well have heard of you because... Um, obviously, your relationship with Daniel Cormier, who's, who's someone that you approached. Um, DC. DC. You approached him to go out and help him ahead of the first John Jones fight. Yes. I, I, it was actually before that. It was long before that. Our, our relationship started in... Jeez, when was it? I think it was like 2015 is when I first spoke to him. A long time ago. Um, I was, he asked me to come out and help Kane get ready for Vadum. Kane was going to fight rematch Vadum. When Vadum was champ, and um, I uh, this is before he fought Stipe, obviously, and um, I was unable to go because I was spending time with my son who lives in the states. Um, <clears throat> so I didn't go, 
But a few months later, it was announced that he was fighting Jones in July. And he was like, that, so this was like January, February time. And he was like, uh, 2016. And he was like, do you want to come out and help me? So I was like, on like let's say that was Saturday night, Tuesday morning, I was in LA. And we were, we were training, you know? So it was quick. We moved quick. And, you, and I stayed. And you've, you've um, obviously, you know, throughout that situation, you had your encounters with John Jones. And I know you've had your... Your verbal tussles, shall we say, with Jones over the last few years. What do you what do you make of particularly this current situation? We saw him got pulled over a couple of weeks ago. What's your take on all of that? Um, do you know what? If you'd asked me six months ago, or the last time I see him, I probably would have been like, uh, you know, I'd have had something smug or smart to say. But I feel like uh, at this point, I kind of feel sorry for him don't like him um but i feel sorry for him because he is a, he is a human being and he's obviously struggling and he's struggling with with something that you can't run away from and that's yourself he he is his own demon man and uh he's obviously not got you know not to disparage the kind of family he must have but if you had good good people around you you wouldn't be struggling like that you wouldn't be struggling like that you'd have someone to kind of put you in check i got i got enough friends that would say to me Try, you're messing up. Do you know what I mean? Like, don't do that or help me see the right way. And he obviously doesn't have that. He's got a bunch of yes men probably. His brothers aren't much cop. So they're probably on the same path. Do you know what I mean? So I do feel sorry for him um, because I know he's got kids and that. And and uh, he's obviously got people that care about him. But I don't see him, and there's no pun intended, but I don't see him making old bone. He's not the sort of person I see making it as an old man. What do you... For me, no, I've seen it in a number of sports over the years. When you see someone who's talented, you know, and we're talking the potential to be the best ever, and, you know, John Jones is, is undeniably one of the greatest fighters of all time. But when yeah. things like this continually come out, how much does that, you know, again, for you as a fighter yourself, how much do you look at that and go, man, if you just kept your nose clean for... You know, this 10 year period, you build this incredible legacy, but you keep doing these things. I mean, he's, you can't knock, like, I can't knock, regardless of whether I like somebody or not, like, I can't knock their talent or what they're good at. Like, the guy's a remarkable athlete. Like, he's just, he's got everything. Everything that you could possibly want in a, an athlete, a complete athlete, he's got it. Um, even down to the, to the, uh, the um, the negatives outside of the, the cage, right? He's got that. So, and every great's had it. Mike Tyson had it. You know, every great has had some sort of turmoil or, or, or trouble outside of their profession. Um, I just don't. I just don't think he's the sort of person that could ever change. Like he is what he is, and that is what makes him as, as good as he is. It makes him makes him great. Makes him a. a um, uh, he will be a legend of the sport. You know, no one's no one's doing what he's doing. Um, but he will never, ever be, ever, a good man. And I would much rather encourage people to be a good man than be a, a remarkable uh, Hall of Fame athlete. Because that comes and goes. And then you're forgotten about. You're just a, a number up in the rafters. But you'll always be a good man till you die. And he's, he's not, we're all, you know, we've all got our little things that we do or people we've upset and, you know, we haven't said the right thing or we've done the wrong thing. But are you good? 
are you a good person? Do you look at yourself and go, I'm good? Because you know what? I'll do the right thing. If I crashed into a woman and she was preg pregnant or not, if I crashed into a woman or a man, I'm not running away. One, even if I didn't have insurance or a valid license or I was in a, a, a somebody else's car, I'm not running away because that is the wrong thing to do, especially if you know someone could be hurt. But then you run back and you, we're going into it now, we're digressing, but you get my point. Like, that's not a good soul. A good soul wouldn't do that. So he was more worried about himself and getting caught and ruining what he's got going on than he was about the life of two people in that car. And one that hasn't even had a chance to experience life yet. The shock alone could have killed that baby. Mm. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't live with that. That's me personally. And I'm sure there's, there's plenty of people watching this that would agree. And there's plenty of people that would say, shut up, mate. John Jones would do this and do that. But they're, they're, there's, they're living in a, a sleepy world. Do you know what I mean? So I'm happy being a good man and not a John Jones type athlete. Um, because I can sleep at night. When my back's not hurting. <laughs> <laughs> mate, mate, my back right now. Wow. I've turned into Jesus. a jogger. Since the gyms have closed, I've turned into a jogger. Mate, that yeah. takes an impact. But enough of that. Let's talk about DC. Have you chatted to DC as of late? I spoke to him uh, two or three weeks ago. I was actually speaking to one of the um, uh, one of the uh, people at the gym, AKA, on FaceTime. And DC came in and we had a little chat. He's, he's still about, mate. But you know what? The guy's gotten so much busier now that he started doing what you do that it's like, it's like talking to him. You get a couple of minutes and then he's like, oh, shit, i got to go. Like, you know, which is good. I'm glad. You know what? He's got a lovely family and I'm just glad that he's, he's uh, found happiness in, in his new venture, you know? And you and him share a mutual interest as well because he's a huge WWE fan. And this is something I want to talk to you about because I remember when we first met, we sat down in catering at Bama and we were just catching up. And I can't recall how close to that, but it, it was in quite recent memory that you'd, had a, you'd been to WWE, you'd been to the Performance mm. Center, you'd had a tryout. Um, tell me about that and, and tell me why you didn't sign with WWE back then. Well, it actually came, again, just before I went out to DC to help, so to, end of 2015. I'd met with um, the head of talent operations for the WWE at an NXT show, which was in Wembley. Um, he took me to the show, introduced me to people like um, Paul Levesque, Triple H. Triple H. I love you calling by his real name. I love well, that's that. his name. Yeah, I, yeah, wouldn't, I, love I wouldn't meet... I wouldn't go up to Dwayne Johnson and be like, oh, nice to meet you, The Rock. I might do. I think... <laughs> Hello, Mr. Rock. I don't... I, I, yeah. yeah. Well, you wouldn't go to uh, um, Kevin Nash and call him Diesel, would you? Big Sexy. Oh, I'd go with Big Sexy. Yeah. <laughs> Big Sexy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I went and they uh, they were like, yeah, you know, look, there's open invitation. Come out to us. We're in Orlando. We'll fly you out. And um, I think I was getting ready. Because I went out to, to San Jose, I was just more focused on that. And um, then I had a glory fight come up and... I did the glory fights and things were going well. And I ended up eventually going like about seven, eight months later. I flew out to Orlando and uh, I stayed a week. And I was with, I was the only non-Olympian there trying out. Everyone else was Olympic wrestlers or Olympic judo. And I was, 
it was only me and one other guy that sort of got an offer. Um, there's a, there's footage. I don't know if you've seen the footage. Footage of me running ropes with these guys, and I feel like that was the bit that sold it for me. My ability to take bumps and my ability to run the ropes, and they were just like, uh, "Oh man, yeah, you should come and try it out." And then obviously my ability to speak on the mic. I said something incredibly crude, and they were like, "This isn't the, the attitude era anymore." <laughs> I was like, oh, "Okay, so I can't say stuff like that." But um, that was good fun. But I was just, you know, what I was. I had an itch that I still needed to scratch in fighting. And I stuck with it, but you know, I probably should have done it. I probably should have done it. But then we wouldn't be having this conversation now if I did. So well, maybe we would do because obviously now NXT UK's blown up, and obviously, you know, it's just growing from strength to strength over there. Is it? Is it something that down the line you, you might reconsider? I don't know. I, I put a post up yesterday as a joke, like um, me and Kane being a tag team. I think it's sort of created some sort of genuine heat and an idea. So uh, I, I, the thing is, I already have like a bit of knowledge when it comes to wrestling, just because I was such a big fan. Um, and I did used to go to like a wrestling school. So were you a fan when you were a kid? Wait, oh, I'm a massive fan, man. I was a massive like Nation of Domination. That was that was really yeah. That was me, man. That was me. I was big, big into wrestling at the time when SmackDown was new. You know, Thursdays. Smackdown. Um, yeah, it's big, big interesting. And then, uh, so, naturally, I've just got this gift that I can pick things up rather quick. Uh, but I have to do them, which is repetitive. I don't think it's the same with anybody, but with me, it's not like, oh, you could draw me diagrams and then I just figure, I have to do it. I can't, I can't just figure out. It's like putting together a cupboard out, of, out from Ikea. No, don't worry about the instructions. We'll just get the stuck. Okay, there's that many screws, there's that many holes. We're going to figure this out. Oh, you're one of those guys. I'm you're one of those the people. IKEA furniture guys. I'm the opposite. I'm like, ah, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever, leave it. Nah, I just got to get on with things, innit? Because I feel like you sit, I hate wasting time, like sitting on the spot. So the whole time I'm sitting there reading that, it's not getting done. And that, bug, that bugs me. So I just got to get on with it. So I think you'd be such a good fit. I mean, again, First of all, you're the best part of six foot ten. What are you wearing now? Like two fifty? Uh, probably about two sixty now. Two fifty, two sixty. You, look, you're a big guy, and you can talk. And the fact you've been to the PC and you trained, I mean, I'd love to see you in there. I would. You know, when this is done, I'm gonna look for uh, somewhere to train. Um, Where are you based? And I'm based. I mean, it's like sorry. Okay. Yeah. Man, I'll, I'll find so, places for you. I'll find places for you. I'll go down and I'll, I'll do some training and I reckon within a couple of months I'll be flying off the top rope, mate. Trust me. I'd love within to a couple see of, it, I, I pick things up quick and that, that's what excites me. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I get kind of motivated to pick it up quick and it ends up happening. If the opportunity came around again and, and you know, the offers and stuff were right, would it be something you'd explore? Oh yeah, 100%. 100%. It was just a different time then, you know. I think if I'd done, if I'd have done if I'd have done it back then, then uh, I might not have done it justice and I might have been in it and been out of it already. But I feel, I feel like I needed to mature as a person, kind of mature in, in, in my spirit and understand more about myself. And now I'm, I'm kind of at that maturity where I feel like I would be able to commit to this now, you know? And look, you've got links. You've got links in the industry. Yeah. Look, you know me. Yeah, I'm, I'm part of NXT UK, but there's someone a bit further up the totem pole that you've got a relationship with, and of course, that's Bill Goldberg. Yeah. How, do you, know, how do you know Big Bill? Bill, how did I meet Bill? Um, 
I met Bill in San Diego when I fought on the Glory. It was a heavyweight tournament they had out there. Um, and Bill was there because he, he resided in San Diego. And I created such a commotion at the weigh-in that he was like, who the hell's this guy? Like, i got to meet this guy. So he came and introduced himself, and he was like, man, you know how to sell a fight. And our relationship came from there. And obviously, I fought, won the first fight, lost in the final. But he was just like, the whole way that you, the crowd was still cheering for you, even though you lost. He was like, you've got that. There's something about you you've got, and you just know how to use it. And we swapped numbers, and he was like, man, anytime you want to come out, come down. I, I flew down a few a couple of months later. I flew to, to, to stay with him in, in his house. I've been down there a couple of times, and then um, uh, we just stayed in touch. Whenever he comes to the UK, he hits me up. We go go for dinner. He's a, he's a proper guy, man. Like Bill's a proper, proper proper guy, nice guy. And would you two try and ever do anything together? Because I know you know you, I know you hang out a lot, and you've got mutual interests. Anything you guys could do together? Because like, if you if you want someone to train you to be a, a worker, I mean he knows a couple of things about it. Oh, a hundred percent. Like I, we've talked about it and, um, he said, you know, if there's any, he told me actually before I went to the, uh, performance center, he's like, why didn't you tell me that you were going? Cause I just kind of just went, I was like, they booked me a flight like the night before I just got on a flight. I'm not going to ring up Bill and say, Hey Bill, by the way, I'm going to the performance center. Have you got any tips? I just kind of just thought, let me just get on with it. You know, but he was like, you should have told me I could have made some calls. I could have got you. I got you pyro. I got you pyro from the off. Walk out with yeah. flames. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we talked about it, and I know Bill would be more than happy to help because he's, he's a generous person like that. And I think the more, I think I kind of need to show that I'm serious about it and then maybe show some tape, say, look, this is what I've been doing, and then let him help me kind of break me into the, to the next level, you know? Mate, I'll, 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 I'll talk to the boys. We'll find you somewhere to go and run the ropes, man, because, again, you know, as, as you said, you can sell a fight. And talking is such a big part of this. Being between the ropes is one thing, but if you know you need the personality, and mate, that's something you've got. You got six foot ten of personality. <laughs> I know. I see some some guys, and I'm just like, man, if you your size, your presence, if you just knew how to communicate. Sometimes you don't even have to speak, but you're communicating with people. Just the way that you're standing, and sometimes you can tell if someone's forcing it. You can tell if someone's natural. And I know that I can almost say nothing and either get under people's skin or get them excited, get the hair standing up on it. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm definitely excited about approaching it now because I'm different and I've got a different understanding of the business. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to see where it can go. Mate, I'd love to see you in there. So what's... Obviously, look, it sounds like you're going to explore this, this whole pro wrestling stuff we just called, but what, what is next for you? Is that next? Do you want to get more fights? It's been, it's been almost a year since we saw you inside the cage. You know. I know. What, what, time, do you, what, what do you want to do next? Well, I've been, like, since that last fight, I'd, already, I'd auditioned. I started auditioning for, like, a lot of roles in films. Um, I auditioned for a Marvel film, which I didn't get. But Can you tell us which one it was? It was uh, Doctor Strange. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I did audition for that. It was a good audition. The audition went great, but it just wasn't the look. And I knew I wasn't the look they were looking for. Um, going into it, they wanted more of a sort of um, a great Carly type look, you know, with the long hair and stuff like that. I was just like, wing it. You never know. But from going to that audition, I got a part on a Netflix series. And we filmed that last, last December. Um, 
which will air. It's supposed to air later on this year, but um, <clears throat> you see opportunities. What's that? From... Can you tell us what that, what's that called? I don't think I can. No. Okay, no, no, I, I, I don't want to get you. Out, I don't no. want to get you in trouble. But let, let us know no, when no, it's no, out. No, no. I want to see I, you. I probably can because I know somebody. I'm, I'm friends with somebody. Actors don't don't get yourself in hot water. But they say. But you know what? I don't want to say. Yeah. I'll end up cutting me straight out. Of no, yeah, wait, <laughs> wait, wait till you're in there. Wait till you're on it, and then you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I started doing that, and uh, I got a couple other parts on um, some independent films. But obviously, COVID nineteen happened, and that got postponed, which sucks because I was excited for that. I was prepping for the role and everything. But it was, was, you know what, being physical and and portraying it on screen, it's just so much fun. Anyone that's done it will tell you it's it's really fun. Had you done much acting? Had you you done much acting before? Is this your first kind of parlays into it? Mate, I was I was doing stuff back here when the Harry Potter's were still being made. I've been doing things for a long time. Yeah, yes, you were. Oh yeah, who? What we doing, Harry Potter? I but was um, the, the, a Hagrid double. The bot- yes, I, I, I saw was in you the suit, in the Hagrid suit. <laughs> Mate, how long were you on those films for? I did. I was only on Potter for like a week, but then um, simultaneously, I was doing a lot of stuff. Was done at Shepperton that I was doing, and I did Red Dwarf, um, which I love. Love Red Dwarf. I was always doing big characters, monsters in suits. Yeah, you're six foot guys. ten, mate. You're not going to do a dwarf, are you? <laughs> No, but, you know, I never was doing much, uh, like, talking. It was all uh, expressive stuff, phys- you know, physical stuff, which I, I absolutely adored because I was... I'll tell you what, a funny story. I was on a film called um, Jack the Giant Slayer. Um, it was Nicholas Holt and Ewan McGregor and um, Eddie Marzan. There was a bunch of people, Stanley Tucci, a bunch of people in there, right? Bill Nye. And um, I remember hearing this story about uh ewan mcgregor when he was on star wars and george lucas had done this interview and i think it was on like some mtv show um years and years ago and he said that it took him a long time to get ewan mcgregor to not make the lightsaber noise when he was (laughs) when he was filming the scene right (laughs) so i'm sitting there and ewan mcgregor's sitting there we're we're, um we're having coffee eddie marzan's sitting there i'm like right in the middle and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, because obviously you don't, you don't badger actors, you know what I mean? They, they don't want to have, any, uh, have a conversation. I'm like, I've got to ask him. I have to ask him. Is it true? So I plucked up the courage. I was like, right, because I, I could have got kicked off the set. You know what I mean? So I said, listen, got to ask you one question. Is it true? Blah, blah, blah. And he said, oh, uh, no, I don't think so. That many was lying. <laughs> it was true. I don't think, mate. But, but yeah, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. You'd know. But Eddie Marzan said, I heard the same thing. So it kind of made it, valid. it, made it all all right. It made it okay, you know. But um, that was like a, a, a funny moment because it was one of those questions you never thought you'd get to ask somebody. I'm sitting right here and I had to ask him, is it true? Because I'm a big Star Wars fan as well. Is it true when you were playing Obi-Wan Kenobi, you were making <laughs> lightsaber noises? But apparently he didn't. I don't believe him. So, <laughs> I'd uh, be making bloody lightsaber noises. So is acting something you're, you're pretty down with continuing to pursue? Well, if you think about it, like, like the same way that you sell a fight, although that's not acting because you, you, you're really fighting, I find translation on screen so easy. Um, you know, like I did, a, I did a, um, a short film, a friend of mine, close friend of mine, uh, Patrick Monroe, he, um, incredible writer and director, like just a visionary. One of those people you meet and you just go, ah, oh, he's got it. Like, 
just his set up of a shot. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, there's something special here. I see, I see what you're what you're trying to accomplish, and I never would have thought to do that. You know, um, <clears throat> I think that again, that's not something you learn to do. That's something you either have. It's like photographers, you can learn to be a photographer, but the one that gets that magic shot, you're just like, okay, that's a special. I understand. Um, <clears throat> he was doing a, a film, uh, and he was like, look, I want to bring you on um, to play this character. He always wrote characters in his shorts for me, which I thought was sweet. But it's him helping, you know, trying to look, look out for me. And he's like, so Benedict Cumberbatch, who's his friend, is like, he's, he's the lead. He says, you're going to fight him in this, in this scene. But I kind of want you to choreograph the whole fight scene. Being a, a, a capable fighter, it's very easy to translate shots on screen. You just have to understand camera position. And how is he going to sell, right? <clears throat> so I was like, yeah, all right, cool, no problem, I'll do that. So I'm, I'm there, you know, rehearsing, orchestrating this. Uh, fight scene with Benedict Cumberbatch, Doctor Strange, you know, who is a remarkable human being. What a nice guy. Beautiful guy. Um, and it just came across so much better than it felt like we were doing it. And that film is available. It's on, on YouTube. Uh, it's called Little Favor. It's a short film. Um, but you, you can watch it. Really good film. Um, and it's just the way it came across. I was like, oh man, I could do this all day. I could do this all day. Give me a part in Fast and Furious or something. I'll do this all day long. So it's it just, I think it's just something you either sort of um, adopt and you just you just grab hold of it or it's something that people get nervous in front of cameras and, oh, the pressure, the pressure. It's like, come on, man, I'm, mate, I'm used to pressure. Mate, have you got an agent and stuff? Are people, is there someone sort of taking you out there and, and putting you amongst No, them? I just kind of wing it, mate, and just do it all on my own, you know? And people find you, I mean, 610. People, yeah. people, yeah. <laughs> When I when I I got the obviously I got the Netflix thing through uh, um, the stunt coordinator who auditioned me in July, uh, the the, the last July, um, and he he got the link because he was like, look, I got this perfect guy, and he kind of brought me in. Uh, so it is it is a massive industry of who you know, not necessarily what you can do, but who you know. Obviously, you need to be able to do, you need to be able to perform, but if you know the right people, you can go. A lot further than your talent will take you. Well, you talked about YouTube for a minute there. I was having a little look back at some of your fights earlier. And one of your fights, actually I think it's your most recent one, has 3.3 million views. Go, go, and check, go, go and check this out. So just, just put Chilo's parry into YouTube and it's going to be the first thing that comes up. You, uh, the UAE Warriors event, knocking out yep. someone called The Hulk. And this dude looks like The Hulk. You knock him out yeah. in... Eight, I'm going to spoil it for you all. He knocks him out in eight seconds. How? Tell me about that fight. It felt a bit bizarre. Um, no, I see. I've known Mahmoud. Mahmoud Hassan is the Hulk's name. <clears throat> who, again, I couldn't say any nicer things about him. Uh, he's a lovely guy. Um, we actually crossed paths in Asia when I fought for a promotion in Asia. Um, he fought on the same card as me. And he's just a, he's short, but he's a very compact and he's strong. You can see he's a very strong guy in all of his fights. He hasn't got the greatest, greatest uh, of uh, wins, but he's fought strong dudes and he's lost to strong dudes, you know? But he's a little powerhouse. And I, I, I kind of knew that he was going to try to get close and just kind of try and grapple, which he wouldn't have been able to out grapple me, but he might have been able to wear me out a little bit or, you know, if I wasn't able to keep distance. So one thing I'd noticed, I took my time coming out. 
I was dancing. They don't show that on the tape, man. I was you took, you, you took your time. Well. Try it. It finished in eight seconds. Yeah, but the walkout was about five minutes. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I was like Prince Nazim. <laughs> I was uh, I was dancing. I was listening to. Uh, I walked out to Midnight Express Midas Touch, and there was fireworks. They they put on a really good show, man. And I was like, Do you know what? I'm just gonna have fun. Like, if this isn't fun, like, then what am I here for? So I was having a little boogie, a little bit. Of, everyone loves a bit of eighties uh, pop music, and um, <clears throat> yeah, I came out and I just noticed he switched. He came out and went southpaw because originally I was just like, I'm gonna kick the crap out of his leg and when he can't stand I'm going to take him down I'm going to batter him that was that was the strategy and he switched southpaw and I was like oh, he's getting the right hand he's getting the right hand because I, th- I figured he's, the only way he's going to go southpaw he's going to do is going to try and shoot he's going to rush and try and shoot and if you notice you go southpaw throws a straight left which brings him orthodox again like he was going to try and set himself up for a shot and he just walked straight onto a right hand. It's and a I, I sweet, sweet the right angles, hand as well, man. Jesus. It was one of those ones. I don't know if you've ever headbutted anybody before. But when you headbutt someone and it's perfect, you don't feel it. There's no, there's no impact. You're just like, I didn't even know that happened. And they're on the floor. It's perfect. It was, I didn't even feel it. Just like I'd, like I'd flicked them. Not, I'm con- not condoning headbutts, people. But sometimes you've got to defend yourself. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do, and well, try those Paris signs off you. Yeah? Do you think? Do you think we'll ever see you in in Bellator or the UFC? Who knows, mate? Who knows? Do you know? I would love to fight uh, someone like John Jones, not because I want to be the champ, or not because I want to be known as the greatest ever. I don't care about. Honestly, couldn't give a rat's ass about that sort of stuff. I just have a genuine dislike for the person and I feel like that's normally how people settle things because me and him are never going to be the sort of people that you know you can't go from messaging me really nasty stuff to now being my friend like or being me being cool so you know a lot of uh, people can do their research but a lot of that whole thing was based off of some personal stuff that he'd said in messages which I don't tolerate if you walk down the street and a guy had been messaging you vulgar stuff, uh, abusive stuff like that, and you saw him, you'd go another word. That's the, the, the reasoning behind me approaching him. So I just don't like him. And I think something like that would, would motivate me to want to fight in one of the big promotions because you just set the score in it. If I get beat, I'm like, oh, I got beat. Okay, cool. But you won't talk to me like that again. Didn't you, I, I think I read somewhere, did you have an interaction with Jones recently, like in the last six, seven months? Oh yeah, we we uh, had a, a, a run in because I approached him, but um, it was at the Body Power last year, about a year ago. <clears throat> um, again, the guy had been sending me the the year before. The guy had been sending me DMs, um, which were offensive. So I said, and then he blocked me. So I couldn't even respond. And I'm not one of these people that's going to go on Twitter and tweet and I don't care about that stuff. And it's like, I'll just see you. When I see you, we'll all cross paths again. When I see you, we'll have a word. And I was at the Body Power Expo with a sponsor. And um, someone said, hey, you know John Jones is over there? And I was like, oh, perfect. So I was, I was there standing there talking to Dan Hardy and them. And um, <clears throat> they came over with their crew and they were filming it. And I was like, but I was genuinely like, well, all that stuff you were saying to me, say it now. 
you're saying no, you you're quick to talk. He talks a lot when he's got a lot of people around him. But when he was there, he was just really quiet. He's just trying to laugh it off. And it's like, well, mate, I'm not being funny. But if you, if a man starts talking to you about your family and all that sort of stuff, regardless of what he, or who he is, if you're a real man, you will address that situation when you see that person. So I addressed the situation when I saw it. I'm not afraid of you because you have defended uh, a, uh, a piece of metal and plastic and leather. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of you because of you've submitted this person or you've head kicked that person or you've done spinning elbow on Stefan Bonner. I don't care. Like you're a man at the end of the day and you're not going to talk to me like that. And that was my reasoning for that approach. Not because I want to get clout or I want to be famous. If you know me, you know, I don't give a rat's ass about that stuff. I don't care. I'm just not going to let you mug me off. So I didn't. I approached him and he didn't really have much to say. Like he, I'm not saying he was scared. Don't get me wrong. He's not scared. Why would he be scared of, of another man? I don't think he's scared. But I think he respects that he, it would be best to not take a bang from me. And I, I, I wouldn't want to take a bang from, a, from another big, big guy. From a, like, just take one. No. So I think, uh, but he, I think also deep down he knows he's wrong. He, 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 I'm justified in, in my action, you know, because he knows what he, what he did. Banker. If he ever said to you, Chai, I think I need some help, would you help him? Uh, what if he, if he messaged me and said, "Help me"? Well, you, we, we talked. We, no, we talked earlier about him not having. You know, your take is he may not have the best circle around him. If you know, he ever said, "Hey, look, hundred percent." Because if you if you're humble enough that you can approach me and say, "Do you know what?" There's a bit effed up what I did, what I said. Um, I apologise, but you know you don't understand the life that I live. Like I'm I'm constantly under scrutiny, under pressure. You know, uh, I've got this fame and, and uh, this this access to all of these vices. I can I can say, well, cool. You know what? I don't understand that because I don't have that. But maybe manage the way that you talk to people, and I'd, I'd say cool. Because in the, in the initial instance, I never had a problem with the guy. I didn't even know him. He brought me into this. So, yeah, if a guy can put, hold their hand out and say, no, I was wrong. Can you have you got any advice, or can you recommend anything, or do you know anybody that can help? No problem, mate. Because. I don't hold on to I don't hate anybody and I don't hold on to hate. But you're not gonna mug me off. I'm not gonna have that. It's a respect thing. I never say anything to you, I don't I'm not disrespectful to you, don't disrespect me. And I feel like that's how you should treat people. And he didn't treat me nice. That's that's not, not the way you treat people. Uh, Charles, I've known you for a few years and I've always thought this. You're very for saying what you do for a living, which is beat the hell out of people, you're a very zen person. You're very grounded, you're you know, there's not a lot of aggression in you. You're you're a very chill person. What what do you think's led you to have this kind of outtake on life? And as we talked about today, you know, you're, you're very philosophical. Um, how do you get mentally to, to this space, which I, I think is a really great space? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I think, uh, if I'm honest, I never used to be like this. I was quite charged, fired up. But the pivotal point was... Being on my own, I spent so much time on my own with nothing that I, you, you're never going to know who you are until you spend enough time with you. Because the you that is around other people isn't the you that's on your own. You know, that, that you around the other people isn't the voice that you, that's talking to yourself while, you, while you're holding your knob, having a pee. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? There's, yeah. a, there's a different voice that you project versus the, 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 the voice that you, that you're within. And I spent, uh, there was a time where I was, we won't go into it, it was long-winded, but 
it was a time where I didn't have anywhere to live and I was living in, well, I did, I was living in my car and um, I was flat broken. This was just before I went out to DC. That, that, um, it was like a few months in that period. I had nothing, man. I was on my ass. Um, <clears throat> and I spent so much time on my own. It let me realize who were the real people who were, who had my back, who had a sofa that, they, that I could stay on, who had a shower that I could use to wash. And you learned a lot about people, a lot, a lot about people. They like you when you're winning. When you're winning in life, everyone wants to help you. But you don't need their help because you're winning. So it's kind of like a false help. They're offering help knowing that you're not going to need it. But when you really need it, they ain't got your back, mate. Oh, I wish I could, but you know what? My missus is uh, cooking a jelly in the oven. And uh, so we can't have any pizza. Do you know what I mean? No one wants to help. I've got a very, very few, few select uh, people who literally said, here you go, have my bed, have a warm night, sleep properly. Here you go, do you need some food? I'll cook you some food. And there you go. Here, do you, want it? do you want the keys to my gym? You can go use the shower whenever you want. Like People that would help. But I'm, I'm not massive on accepting help because I like to dig myself out of the hole. If I fall in a hole that's too deep, then I was messing around with, with, a, with, a, um, with the wrong spade. I need to be able to get out of the hole, man. So... I try my best to get out of there, but you know, I won't. I won't turn down a warm bed every now and then. Luckily, I'm out of that hole. Yeah, man, you are. <laughs> I'm not in that problem anymore. But there was a time it was dark, man. It was really dark, and you question a lot of things. And I spent a lot of time with myself, and I, and I got comfortable with being on my own. So now I'm not dependent on socialising, and I don't need. You know, most people are like, oh, I need my girls to go out. I can't go out and do something on my own. I need to be with all my friends. No, I need to be on my own more than I need to be with a bunch of people. Let me be on my own. And, and that just, just taught me to be happy with what you have on your own. That, that's my, that's my zip. Mate, that's beautiful. I ask this to a lot of people um, on this podcast. And if your 12-year-old you was looking at you now, looking at the person you've become, what do you think they would think? Expletive coming. <laughs> 12 <laughs> year old me would say try you twat why didn't you do the wrestling <laughs> no um i i honestly i think 12 year old me would be disappointed yeah i think 12 year old me would be, definitely be disappointed because nice i'm not in the nba okay because i didn't make it to the nba and that's all 12 year old me ever wanted that was like my dream you know uh it's quite sad thinking about it thinking about a little 12 year old boy uh, and he didn't get his dreams. Yeah, that's quite sad. But there's still, there's still things to accomplish. As you said, you know, hey, look, this wrestling thing, ge look, genuinely, I'd, I'd love to see you in there. I'd love to see you run the ropes. I'd love to see what you've got in the ring because I'm pretty certain you've got what it takes outside of it. And I think you've got all the skills to make it work in there. Maybe that could be something to give back to your 12-year-old. But I think, look, hey, you may have not achieved that one dream, but I think the person you've become, you know, we talked about that Zen just there. You know, you've grown into yeah. such a person who is, again, you're so giving, you give back to people, you, you offer advice, you help people. You turn into a good person who's achieved so much. I think 25-year-old me would be proud of me. Okay, let's look at 25-year-old you then. Yeah, 12-year-old me would be too um, naive, too immature to understand what Zen even is. You know, Wouldn't know it's all about... Word. I didn't know what Zen was at 12. Couldn't spell yeah. my last name at 12. I thought Zen was how the Chinese wrote pen. 
I probably thought the same thing, to be fair. <laughs> well, let's talk about 25 then. Let's talk about 25, like a, a time when you kind of knew a bit more. How would that chai look at the, the chai now? Um, I think because, yeah, because 25 was the, the age where basketball me kind of packed it in. It was like, you know, this ain't really working out. I'm going to figure something else out. So I think 25-year-old me would be, would be um, proud of the fact that I'm not a smoker. I'm not a drinker. I'm not a, a recreational drug user. I'm not a live for the weekend type guy. I'm not a pub lout. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not a vile human being or member of society where a lot of people are, I, I I go in in supermarkets sometimes and I'm just like, man, what happened to you? Like, did did anyone show you the way? Because it looks like you haven't got a clue where you're going. It's just in their life, and it's like a confusion going on there. And I'm, I'm really proud to not be in that kind of mess. Uh, and you know what? A lot of that's credit to people I've encountered, and everything's always a credit to your experiences. And I'm just, I, I lucked out when it comes to experience. I got to meet some people that taught me how to be, but I've also met a hell of a lot of people that taught me how not to be. Are there any people that you could single out, whether it's one or, or two or three or whatever? Are there people that you've encountered that you can single out and go, hey, no, that there's someone who's really influenced me? Oh, man, there's loads of people that have influenced me. Do you know, do, do you want to know? Two, this is going to blow your mind. Go on, two go on, most, blow it. Yeah, I, I shall say, two of the three, I'm going to give you three people that you would never guess that have had a massive influence on me. Hit me. One, Kurt Russell. What? Never would have thought that. Kurt Russell. <laughs> Kurt. <laughs> Kurt Russell. Talk to me. Kurt Russell, mate. That is that. that I got to meet that guy. If I'm gonna meet anybody, top of my list is I got to meet Kurt Russell. Okay. Kurt Russell is like the the, the pioneer of, of the '80s for me. Second, his his uh, uh, partner in crime, John Carpenter. Okay. I love film, isn't it? Big big in, into film. The thing is, I want is my probably my favorite sci-fi horror film. Big Trouble in China, my favourite film. Both of those, you know, um, involved in. Um, third, are you ready for this one? Come on, give it to me. And I'll, I'll explain why. Carl Pilkington. I beg your pardon. <laughs> Carl Pilkington. Carl Pilkington. And you know why? Go on. Because when I've needed to laugh more than anything, that guy's having me on my ass, nice. laughing. And that is so powerful. Because not because of his stupidity, he's got nothing philosophical to say. Although a lot of his points, they're crazy, but I kind of, I kind of understand what. If he's, you, what if he's you to dig get. deep enough with some of his points, there's some yes. gold in there. Absolutely, and I think people oversee that because they think he's just stupid. He's not a stupid, man. He's a very smart man, but he's just got very unusual opinions, uh, outlooks on life. And I have needed to laugh, mate. I've got so many uh, clips downloaded on my phone. I put it under my pillow on repeat and I listen to it as really? I go to sleep because he makes me laugh and I'll fall asleep smiling. Like, honestly, that guy is hilarious. That's amazing. And, and I think those moments when I've needed to have, I felt like I had a friend when I needed one and I never even met the guy. So if Carl Pilkerton is ever watching, thank you, mate. I appreciate it. Mate, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Look, Chai, where can people find you? People have listened to this and they want to find you. Where, where's, where's Big Chai in the old social? Buy me in the trap. It's going down. Find me in the club. No, no, I'm never in the club. <laughs> um, you can find me um, 
What do you mean, my social what's media? Your, what's your social oh. handles? What's your things? My social, there? I'm just chopper underscore chai on uh, pretty much everything. I think it's real chopper chai on Twitter, which I, I sadly don't use that much anymore. Uh, I'm more of an Instagram person. Um, but chopper chai, you type in chopper chai, you're going to find me. And if, you, if you've never seen chopper chai, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen him, go and check him out. He's, this is a beast of a man. This is a specimen of a man. And look, it's a man that, hey, who knows? In the not too distant future, you could be someone in the WWE universe. Mate, me and me and Kane Velasquez, we're gonna hey. we're gonna put the team back together. Mate, that would be good. We're gonna bring the team back together. So you you and Kane <laughs> friends, you know Kane. Yes. Yeah. Have you spoken to Kane since he's signed? Um, we've he messaged like, he messaged yeah. me every now and then. He was in London not too long ago, but he was he was like, yeah, come meet me. I'm doing something up in uh. It was the BT. We've been the BT Sport launch at the start of the year. Was it? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. yeah, he said he was here. Come meet him, but. They literally had him go do the stuff, stuck him on a plane, and he left. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, I'm sorry, I had another time. But, um, Chilo's Parry and Kane Velasquez in a Imagine tag that. team. Mate. Imagine Mate. that. That'd be sick. But before we go, actually, let's get your thoughts on this because there has been this big crossover. Obviously, Kane signed. Brock Lesnar was someone who went the other way from wrestling to, to UFC and back again. Ronda Rousey, we, we've all seen what she's done. Conor McGregor's talked about it. Um, a number of now UFC fighters in. in Matt Riddle. Shots. Matt Riddle Matt, went of into course, Matt. wrestling. Yeah. Of course. There's a big crossover there. What what's your take on that? Do you do you think it's it's a good thing? Do you think it's a bad thing? I think, yes, I, I think it's good because you know, there's always been this stigma that wrestling isn't real and people say it's uh, it's pre it's uh um predecided. Predetermined. And, yeah, predetermined. Um <clears throat> thank you for that. <laughs> I couldn't think of the word. <laughs> um, it's predetermined. So I think it kind of validates the toughness. Because I know from being there for that week, mate, my body was in bits. Running in ropes is like running into cable. Because that's what essentially what it is. It's not padded. There's nothing nice about that. My lap was seized up for like two months. I was, I was a mess. Obviously, you get conditioned to it, but it's not easy. It wasn't easy. Um, so I've done it. So the respect is there. You have to respect it. But people that haven't done it, they see it, they just think, oh, but that's real and that's fake. It's not. But you bring elements of real, unpredetermined fighting to this entertainment world, and it kind of validates. It gives it a validation where you kind of go, okay, cool. Well, the real fighters, these guys must be, you know, and it kind of gets that conversation going. As long as there's a conversation going, it's good. Mate, mate, look, I, again, I've said it multiple times and I'll say it again. I'd love to see you inside a WWE. Uh, Chai Lewis Perry, thank you so much for talking to me, mate. Thank you, man. It's been a pleasure. Chai Lewis Perry, what a guy. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed an insight into the way Mr. Lewis Perry's mind works. And hey, you know, go and look him up. If you don't know Chai Lewis Perry, go and look at his social media, go and look at some of his fights, go and look at the guy talking. He knows how to talk and if he does decide to pursue this pro wrestling ambition, hey, I think it could be exciting times. Don't forget to subscribe and leaving a rating or review for people I want to be friends with on whatever podcast you're listening to and I can't wait to be in your ears once again here on People I Want to Be Friends With. But for now, thank you and I'll catch you next time.